Man, nothing better than listening to the sounds of the ocean. By the way, I hear that O.J. Simpson is on Twitter. If you find him following you, run! What's going on, everybody? How are you? We're about ready for another Opie Radio podcast. I'm going to be jumping in a car in mere minutes with P-Boy Mike Sappho, and we're heading down to Point Pleasant, New Jersey, to talk to Diamond Dallas Page, the wrestling legend, and of course the guy that invented DDP yoga. Oh yeah! But first, I got a uh, a small announcement. It's been a lot of speculation and rumors on the old internet, and I'm here to tell you that yes, it's true. That I'm no longer with Westwood One. Uh, we uh, we decided to go our own ways. That's right. We have decided to go our own ways. It was a partnership that started a year ago, and it's now uh, it's now over for now. For now, I did not get fired, and I did not quit. Uh, it's just time to move on. I've taken the Opie Radio podcast as far as I can with Westwood One. So I want to thank everybody at Westwood One for giving me one of the best years of my entire radio slash podcast career. I had so much fun uh, with Westwood One, and I've met so many great people, so many people that I, I will continue to uh, communicate with. I got lifelong friends out of it. But it's just time to move on and see what else is out there as far as the podcast world goes. I got a couple things, a couple things, but as I record this at the ocean, I'm not uh, ready to, you know, talk about uh, the next move. But with that said, it's also a very, very sad day because I got to say goodbye to some people. The first person I got to say goodbye to is Tim Sabian. That's right, Tim Sabian, my friend that I've known for well over 20 years. I was actually at this beach a little over a year ago. I was in semi-retirement after my run at SiriusXM, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't really want a podcast, and then Tim calls me up and goes, Yo, Ope, I need you. I'm taking over podcasting for Westwood One. When can you start? And I said, Tim... I could start tomorrow because I go to war with Tim Sabian. I've done that for well over 20 years. And uh, I'm so happy that Tim got me off the beach because now I absolutely love podcasting. And uh, Tim is still my friend. I talk to him almost every day. And I'm just waiting for uh, what's next. And I will meet him on the other side. There's no doubt we'll be working together again. Hopefully in the near future. We'll see. I also got to say goodbye to Littlefoot. It pains me to say that. He's uh, now a very, very good friend of mine. This guy knows radio. This guy knows podcasting. And he also uh, is a dear friend. And he was one of those guys at Westwood One. I would call up Robert and go, Robert, I need you today. And he would just drop everything to make sure I was taken care of as far as uh, recording podcasts with me and doing a ton of stuff behind the scenes. So, unfortunately, because he's got a contract with Westwood One 
And because Tim Sabian has a contract with Westwood One, I got to say goodbye to both those guys for now. Mike Sappho, P-Boy, the super fan from the old days. I move on with Mike Sappho. Mike Sappho is still with the Opie Radio podcast, and I couldn't be happier. I love Mike. I'm going to be in the car with him in mere moments here. And uh, on this latest episode of the podcast, he gets into having more tragedy that has happened to him in uh, in the last week or two. So uh, Mike Sappho, I'm very happy to say, will be continuing with the Opie Radio podcast. Chef Car Ruiz! Although he's now a busy, busy man, because he's a huge celebrity chef in New York City now, with the uh, with the opening of La Cubana, his twelve million dollar restaurant, I will still try to do as many episodes with Carl Ruiz uh, as we move on with the Opie Radio podcast. But I'm not going to lie to you; it's a it's a bit tougher these days because he's a very, very busy man. So I'm very happy that uh, me and Carl will continue doing the podcast as much as we can. And finally, Joey Salvia. My heart breaks because Joey Salvia is not moving on with the Opie Radio podcast for now. Joey should be working in movies. This guy is so fucking talented. And we became instant friends. One day, Tim Sabian, um, I was talking to him and I said, Tim. I want to kind of have some kind of uh, Rage Against the Machine doing Street Fighting Man like we had for the Opie and Anthony show. And I want it as part of the Opie Radio podcast because I kind of want it as an homage to the past and, and to also bridge into the, uh, the present. And I said, man, I, uh, I did a few sessions with uh, a shaman and I'm really into tribal drums right now. So I'm kind of looking for some kind of tribal drum beat. With that, uh, with that song. Uh, Tim goes, I got this guy, Joey Salvia. And whenever anyone says, I got a guy, you're like, oh, God. Everyone has a guy. Long story short, Joey put together that song. And it was freaking amazing. I got on the phone with him and we became instant friends. I mean, instant friends. And uh, he's an amazing producer, an amazing friend. I continue to talk to him almost every day. He's... Uh, incredibly talented and I was very very lucky to have Joey on this podcast he simply helped me uh, get the whole sound of the podcast right and uh, I'm not happy that he uh, will not be uh, continuing with us but uh, he's also under contract at Westwood One so I have no doubt as we move forward that I'll be working with uh, hopefully uh, one two or all of these guys hopefully but for now, I got to go it alone, and um, it's kind of a sad day, but I think it's the right thing to do. I really believe that I, I took the podcast as far as I can with Westwood One, and I just want to thank everybody there for all their help and teaching me how to do this damn podcast uh, thing and wish them nothing but the best. Remember, I didn't quit. I didn't get fired. It was a partnership that served both parties well. And it's just time to move on. So there you have it. There's the update. Let everyone keep babbling. But I just told you the absolute truth of uh, what's going on with uh, me and Westwood One, okay? And uh, to Tim, Robert, Mike, Joey, thank you so much. Uh, More importantly, I got lifelong friends uh, from this whole experience. And uh, 
you guys already know that we're still in contact and still talking on a regular basis. All right. Without further ado, I got to uh, I got to run. Got to jump in the car with Mike Sappho, P-Boy. And uh, it's a great episode. Mike had more tragedy. If you, if you remember, only a few episodes ago, he was uh, really opening his heart about his dad, who died unexpected, unexpectedly about a week after he got married. Well, that's not the end of it, as you're going to find out. He had more tragedy very, very recently. As we jump in the car and go see Diamond, Dallas, Page, and Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Guys, thanks so much for the support. Really appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll talk on the other side of this. Peace! I find myself on the New Jersey Turnpike going 80 miles an hour. I do my best work on the New Jersey Turnpike going 80 miles an hour, especially when I have a cop in the passenger seat. No worries for the Opster today. You're good to go, brother. And uh, I'm with Mike Sappho. The last time I saw you, we went to Jackie the Joke Man's house in Bayville, Long Island. Uh, We went to Jokeland, and I haven't talked to you since. How cool was that? Jokeland was a museum of radio memorabilia and comedic historical stuff. It was great. I'm kind of bummed. Uh, people really, really liked the uh, Jackie the Joke Man episodes, but I'm really bummed I didn't really get into the whole Jokeland area with all the binders and reel-to-reel tapes and CDs and DVDs and posters. I think we got to go back and really dig into his archives. He had cassettes from 86 of every, when he was standing up all over the country, and he had, like you said, 100 binders of all the notes he wrote to Howard Stern, all his jokes. He had the letters from Stern about bits they wanted to do. It was fascinating. Well, then I go, uh, you know, is this all your stuff or whatever? He goes, no, actually, at my, I think he said his mom's house. It seems like his whole family lives in the area. He (laughs) goes, at my mom's house in the attic is every note I ever wrote to Howard, uh, that you know, most of them he read on the air to make himself funnier. He goes, I have every single one of those notes I wrote out to Howard. A lot of them, a majority of them he used, and uh, you know, a bunch obviously didn't, but he, he saved every one of those because after they were done, he would just pick them up off the floor. And he says, The attic is filled with those. Uh, that's what I really want to see at his mom's house. Yeah, he said the show was over. Stern would throw all the paper on the floor. He'd pick every piece up, put it in a box, and now he said there's. 50 to 100 trunks with every joke he's ever written for him. That's amazing. But I had a great time. I got to go back and uh, and do that with Jackie the Joke Man. But I find myself uh, heading toward Point Pleasant, New Jersey. I'm very excited because I'm talking to an old friend today. Uh, and that would be Diamond Dallas Page from DDP Yoga. We're going to his house in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, right? We are. And he grew up there. WWE Hall of Famer. <laughs> you know that about him. Look, yep. <laughs> at, look at Mike doing the one sheet. What else do you know about uh, Diamond Dallas Page? Uh, he was a nightclub bouncer back in the day. Very good. The name Dallas is because he's a Dallas Cowboy fan. Very good. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts, full um, circle. He met him early on while he, they were drinking buddies, and later on he saved Jake's life. Uh, yeah, it's one of the greatest uh, documentaries ever made. It's one of the most popular documentaries on Netflix. I think it's called The Resurrection of Jake 
uh, the Snake Roberts, and uh, he got his life back together. I want to ask him today how Jake the Snake's doing, by the way. Yeah, I think they're still friends. But you know, he did work with Jericho and so many other people too, but Jake the Snake's the main one. And the reason the documentary is so good is it deals with wrestling, old school wrestling, which everyone loves, and addiction, which everyone deals with. So he, he hit the two points. Exactly. And he got into the whole yoga thing because he really messed up, I think, two vertebrae in his back. It basically exploded, and they were pretty much saying he'll never wrestle again. So he kind of got into yoga fitness to try to get his back. Um, thank you. Uh, get his back healthy. I'm distracted because we're exiting for the Garden State Parkway to head down to the shore, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. I can't wait. Um, so he started getting into the yoga to, you know, get his back uh, healthy, and then it, it became a lifestyle for him, and he developed this uh, DDP yoga that a lot of people are really into. Yeah, because it's not like just a traditional yoga. It's a uh, yoga. It's uh, the whole workout session. I looked it up last night. It looks really interesting. I did it actually. It's like power yoga is the best way to explain it, and uh, it got him back wrestling, and it's helped uh, a lot of other people. And then I want to ask him about him suing Jay Z. Yeah, for the diamond cutter thing, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jay Z was starting to use the diamond cutter, I think, and then uh, uh, Diamond Dallas Page is like, "Screw that, man!" And he sued him, and I think they settled out of court. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine how much money Jay Z gave him? And Jay Z just became a billionaire last week. First hip hop billionaire. Yeah, I got nothing to go with that. He's a billionaire. <laughs> I couldn't be quick with that one. <laughs> but as we head to Point Pleasant, New Jersey, uh, Mike had uh, you're like you're like a black cloud or something, man. Lately, Mike had more tragedy in his life. If you're a fan of this podcast, a couple episodes ago, the one with Chris Algieri, who won his fight, by the way, and he's now going to be fighting for a title. Uh, we had him right before that last fight with Tommy Coyle. He looked great in that, by the way. Yeah, I went home and watched it. He looked incredible. He's, he's back. He's going to fight for the title. He's going to win the title again. Yeah, so um, on that episode, Mike really opened up about losing his dad unexpectedly a week after his wedding. Uh, your dad died at the age of 63. Just a horrific, horrific thing. Yeah, he's the same age as DDP. Ironic. You look at DDP in tip-top shape, 63 years old. Last night when I was reading, I'm like, oh. DDP's living the life, same same age as my pops. Right. So you got through that, sort of, and then uh, me and you went and did the Jackie the Joke Man podcast in Bayville, and then I'm like, all right, Michael, see you, because you were heading on uh, vacation to where, Thailand? Yeah, I was going on a two-week Southeast Asian adventure, going to land in Bangkok, go up to Laos, go to Bhutan, which is one of the hardest countries and least visited to go to, go to uh, Nepal. Wait, why is it so hard to get into? Uh, it's very expensive to go there. The visas are very expensive. You have to pay $250 a day to go there. And they only allow a certain amount of tourists a year. I think last year there was only 3,100 Americans that went there. Why do they not allow a lot of people to visit their country? Wouldn't that be great for the economy? It is, but it's Southeast Asia. And they said they want qu uh, quality tourists, not quantity. They don't want it to turn into Thailand where there's hostels everywhere and there's uh, you know a lot of drug use. So it's just a very uh, closed country and it's only been uh it's only been over maybe 30 years that's it that's very interesting and what's going on with thailand and like the sex trade and stuff is it true a lot of like middle-aged balding fat guys go there to to get uh the puss yeah it's uncomfortable like you know you hear bourbon street in new orleans khao san road from the movie the beach is the backpackers mecca of the world so you would go there and it's incredible i stayed at like a four-star hotel for like 19 dollars a night um, and you see old, you know, young guys, young girls, everyone partying, and then you see the creepy, older, overweight, bald dudes with like a young Thai girl. It's it's uncomfortable, and the girl she doesn't want to be there. It's 
it's a really sad scene sometimes when you see that but they're so creepy like they're sweating with their tank tops and their Jesus sandals I hate it so much wait you could tell the girls are not into it so they don't even fake it yeah you could tell like just say there's Thai girls there because it's backpackers it's like the Nirvana for backpackers so you're there and you'll see like you know you see all different kinds of girls black, white, Asian but then you see the local Thai girls they have distinguishing features and you some of them are happy they want to meet Americans they want to meet Westerners and party and then you see the ones that just look sad you can tell they're the trafficking ones with the old male like holding her hand and they look scared and creeped out and disgusted by them oh my god that's so <laughs> terrible <laughs> no it's it's why would you want to go there because the beaches are beautiful well I don't even go to the beaches because I was in, only in Bangkok for a day that was my whole trip was going to be for a day it's a beautiful country but that cow sun road it's uh it's hit or miss man it, it it's fun for a night you'll walk down the street they'll all wait, wait so it's like a bourbon street so it's worth going to if you go to Thailand but then there's the the dark side of it you have to go there it's it's bourbon street red light district all in one you walk down the street there's every bar beer's a dollar there's no clubs the food's like 50 cents everything's popping there there's they sell you everything that's when they sell scorpions and tarantulas to eat they sell snakes to eat the snake blood from the beach and then you walk and it's like old dude sweating through his tank top that says Vietnam on it Jesus sandals all dripping wet with a young small petite Thai girl it's like oh this is why it's horrible I'll compare it to New York City for us I'll go local Times Square you don't go to Times Square for anything it's horrible so you go to Khao San Road you'll see it there's a red light district then there's nice areas that have normal strip clubs that people go to that are just they're wild you know they're you don't go to the ones that are disgusting with the animals or the ping pong show. You go to fun ones. That what, do you, do. what do you mean, animals and ping pong shows? They, it, it, oh, it's sad, man. They'll have like a girl that looks drugged up. I, I couldn't tell. Just laying there, and like a dog will come out there and lick her, and it's 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 a weird scene there, man. Wait, a dog will just come out and lick her? Yeah, they'll put like and it's not being like a joke with peanut butter. They'll put like dog food on her, and dog come out and eat dog food off her private area and stuff. So that, that happens there. Wow. What about the bars where there are glass uh, floors and then you, you pay like money to be you know underneath the glass and looking at the girls as they have no <laughs> underwear on? I've heard about these places. Well, you know the Hangover too. That uh, that famous rooftop bar is there, so you can go there where it's like twenty dollars a drink, glass stairs where if you're gonna be creepy and look up, you can see under the short skirts, and then you go five blocks away and you're in the red light district where some of the club's names are like Bunny Milfs and. Like, we don't ID. That's what the, the bars say. Like, that's what the signs say. And it's just unregulated. There's no rules there. Wow. So what So what would, What do you like doing when you go to a place like that? Well, the one big Thailand trip I did, I've been there a few times. I went to Bangkok. You know, obviously, Khao San Road. They have the Grand Palace. They have these amazing temples. They have the floating market, which everyone saw in Bourdain. You sit in the market, and you go through the river. You go out to eat. So it's good for two or three days. You go, there's sightseeing stuff. And then after that, you just use it as a hub. It's like JFK here in New York, Chicago, O'Hare, London Heathrow. You land there for the hub to go all over Southeast Asia because flights out of there are like $10, $20. You could trust a $10 or $20 flight? Yeah, of course. It's like uh, when you fly through Europe on Ryanair, it's like $12 a flight. Yeah. Uh, Thailand has uh, AirAsia and Thai Airways. And it's like $20 a flight to go up to like Chiang Mai or to the beaches. And have you ever been on a plane where they just allow animals on, on the plane with the, the people? We, we went to, I was in actually Rome and I was flying up to Sweden and I flew Ethiopian Air. And before we went on, they signed a thing that there was cattle and poultry on the plane, but we didn't see any of it. 
Oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you have to sign if you have any allergies. There was livestock, poultry, and um, perishable items that coming from Africa, if they can possibly make us sick, we have to sign a little waiver. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, I, I mean, we haven't really talked about it on the podcast. You're, you're a world traveler. How many countries have you been to? It was supposed to be eight. This was supposed to be my trip to get me to 80. I'm still at 77. Yeah, so you want to get into that? So so I leave you after the Jackie the Joke Man um, podcast. We did like three and a half hours there. We had a great time. And like I said, you're like, oh, I'll be uh, I'll be on vacation for, what, like 10 days or something like that? Yeah, I was going to go on vacation for 13 days. And I, and where were you going to go? Where were all the places? Yeah, it was Thailand, Laos, Bhutan, uh, Nepal, and a day in Bangladesh. I was going to do Just because the flights were cheap, they all hit up with perfect timing in each country. And I didn't want to go. And my family's like, listen. You're not going to sit home and what? Be everyone's rock. Go on vacation. You need this. So I said, you know what? You're right. So I'm going to go on this long vacation. And, and that was a mere two, three weeks after your dad died. And they basically said, yeah, just go. Yeah, it was, it was two weeks to the day of my dad dying. I'm like, I'll be away. Perfect. All right. So you uh, fly into what? Bangkok? Well, here we go. I fly 14 hours to Abu Dhabi. I have a four-hour layover. That's 18 hours. Seven-hour flight. So 25 hours. I land down in the city of Bangkok. Nice, and your vacation has begun. I land at exactly 10 a.m. I go on WhatsApp. I throw my mom a text. Mom, I'm in Bangkok, 102 degrees. Taxi has no air conditioner, but it's going to be a ball. Dot, 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 send. Great. And then what happened? Then she said, call me ASAP. So you called her. Hey, Mom, what's going on? Grandpa just died. My... Best friend, literally in the world. I'm like, how? She's like, he died. I'm at the hospital. He died five minutes ago. I was in Bangkok for 10 minutes. I looked on my phone log for 10 minutes in a taxi. My grandfather died. So, so then what? You just headed back to the airport? No. Well, she said to me, think about what you want to do. Now, meanwhile, when I said it before, my best friend, complete role model, everything I've done in my life, I'm like, I can't do stupid shit because I don't want to embarrass him. That's how seriously I took my relationship with him. World War II veteran, greatest man in the world. I said, all right, mom. She goes, do you want to continue on your vacation? I'm like, mom, mom, no. So I go to the hotel, which is an hour cab ride in traffic. And it's like a million things are going through your head. So I get to the hotel and I call her up. And it's like probably one in the morning here. I said, listen, you got to start calling airlines because I don't have regular phone. I only have internet use and WhatsApp. I go, I got to come home. So she's like, all right. So she started making calls. I was in Bangkok. I stayed for 20 hours, maybe. Boom, back home. 31-hour flight back home. Oh, my God. Yeah, I left. Um, I landed there, like I said, Friday at 10 a.m., and I left there Saturday at 7 p.m. Oh, my God. You've been through it, Mike. And and he was a World War II veteran, and I think he was 93 years old, right? It was so weird because when you told me... You go, yeah, my, you know, my grandfather died, and he wasn't even sick. I was thinking to myself, no, I mean, I don't mean to laugh. It's an uncomfortable laugh. Ninety-three, you could, you could die just, you know, stretching in the morning. Yeah, and everyone said that I'm like, he wasn't sick. I'm like, but when I say it, he still drove his car, not at night. He texted, had an iPad. He was hip. He was with it. He did uh, like the online gaming on the slots. Like you, he had a cane, but he was so like old school. He would use it. If people looked, he would like move the cane and just stand there. He wouldn't let anyone see him. Right. And he was actually in my wedding party, part of my wedding party. Like I made sure he was in my wedding, which was three weeks ago. And he was he was part of the team. So in the last three weeks, you you got married, you lost your dad, and you lost your grandfather. 
Yeah, hell of a roller coaster. May 4th, I get married. One week later to the day, my dad my dad dies. One of my best friends. Two weeks after that, my grandfather, my best friend, completely drops dead. Oh, my God. That's just unbelievable. It, it's weird how you said, like, when when anyone has an older relative that's still living, that's that's how you explain how healthy, healthy they are. Like, in my case, I had an aunt that was 101, and she died uh, in her chair just watching tv never really went to the hospital and we would say you know she was still she was still with it she uh she lived by herself and she would walk to the corner store and you know <laughs> you know what i mean and, and, and that's what it was he lived on the second floor and like he needed an elevator he's like nope he wouldn't move from the second floor he still drove they're like grandpa we, you can't keep driving he still drove during the day to the stores and you would never know still quick with it you know was losing his hearing a little bit because he worked for the transit authority for like 35 years in the trains. But uh, besides that, you would never know that he was even, uh, he wasn't even sick, so you wouldn't even know. Now, you said something interesting in there. So your grandfather was your best friend and not your dad. Uh, and I know you loved your dad, obviously, but uh, what what made your grandfather so special in, in your family? Yeah, so when I say that, like, obviously my dad, my dad and my grandfather were my two heroes. My grandfather, I think just the way he conducted, and they were really completely different people. I told you my dad was like old school Brooklyn biker guy. When he gave advice, he would never, I think I told this last time, he would never sit you down and be like, hey, buddy, I want you to do this. My grandfather did. He would you know, pull you aside and be like, listen, get your life together. You know, you were drunk last weekend. You act like an asshole. Don't do that. Have respect. Like, he would legitimately give life lessons old school way. And he would tell you, look how I treat my family. Look what I did. And he was just like the patriarch of the family. And I just always looked up to it. And he was just, an, he made everyone think that they were your best friend. Like, if he met you, you would leave like, oh my God, grandpa likes me more than everybody. Like, the way he treated my grandmother and he just did nothing wrong his whole life, so. And it's your uh, it's your mom's dad? Oh yeah, she's a, she's a puddle right now, yeah. So, so she lost her husband and her father within a couple of weeks. Yeah, and like I said, my family's super small. Like, my mom's side, <clears throat> maybe only like 13 or 14 of us. Spent every holiday together. We always live in the same house together, the three-family house. So to say that she's devastated would be like an understatement of the year. Uh, so what is she going to do now? She has no idea. Like, she is a complete wreck. Like, she's holding it up. <clears throat> we were calling her Jackie L. She had the big glasses on. The, <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, the worst part was I felt so bad is that when my dad passed, she's like, listen, I don't want to wake. I want nothing. I, I just want to... That's what the whole... <laughs> Autopsy joke is like, listen, she probably poisoned them because she wanted everything done. She didn't want to have to see people she hasn't seen in 30 years acting like they were friends with them. And then my grandma, that's the complete opposite. She's like, I want, she wanted it to be a party. Everyone to come. So my mom, who didn't want to deal with anybody, now everyone shows up. I'm sorry about your father. Oh, and your husband. So she's just a complete mess right now. And you said it was brutal. Absolutely brutal. Like, it, I you said in a lot of ways this was worse than um, <clears throat> uh, than your dad. It, it was, and people were like, how oh, that doesn't make sense. Your dad was 63. I kind of saw my dad deteriorating a little bit, and just from, even though father's a staple in the whole family, my grandfather was a complete foundation. You know, the head of the table, never missed a party. My mom's dad, it just seemed that my father's hurt, obviously, but this was like the foundation of the family. Then you look like, holy shit, the head of the table is gonna like forever be empty. So mentally, it just messes with you. I'm really sorry to hear that. That is just crazy what you've been through, man. Just crazy. How you gonna? How, how do you just? How do you just move on from this? It's gonna sound corny. I'm like one of those overly positive people. Like, I went. I have a friend who lives in Thailand, and we went out that night. We 
with his friends. Not nothing crazy, just about like a little food tour. And uh, my grandmother actually called me on WhatsApp, and I, I talked to her, and I was like, "Oh, your grandmother called you?" And I told him I didn't want to be Debbie Downer, but I told him like my grandfather just died. And they're like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Listen, I'm 36 years old. I got to spend 36 years." Never watched him suffer. Was in my wedding party. Hung out with him. Played ping pong. Was still in the pool with him. It's hard not to celebrate these lives. I, I look at other people who never saw their grandparents, or they were so old by the time they went there. I'm like he's 93, but I called him every day about the Mets game. He would call me and complain about them and complain about politics and this. It's hard to be so sad. Like I'm, I'm a realist. He was 93 years old. It sucks. That's a great way to look at it. I, um, I had two grandfathers. I, I don't know a thing about them. I think they held me as uh, when I was a baby. I think uh, I had one amazing grandma that made it to like 92, and then another uh, quote grandmother that was just a complete piece of shit. So I think you're ahead of the game there, Mikey. Yeah, I never met my dad's mom. She passed away before I was born. My dad's dad, piece of garbage. Like, used to abuse them, make them kneel on rice. So he's a piece of shit. What? Yeah, yeah. He was a, like, alcoholic. Used to make them kneel on rice when they were bad. Like, horrendous human being. That was my dad's dad. So I met him, I guess, when I was young. And apparently he, like, screamed at me for knocking over something in his house. I don't even know. So my whole grandparents were my, my mom's mom and dad. My grandma's still alive. Same thing. Still healthy. Texting. She doesn't drive, but she never did. And grandpa, that was my, uh, that was my life. Kneeling on, kneeling on rice. Oh my god! And and that's why my dad was such a good father that way with us. Like discipline wise, never hit us because <laughs> that's why he was such a good dad. Discipline wise, never hit us, never did any kind of that stuff because his dad was like literally abused them, alcoholic would hit them, beat them up, and just like tortured them basically. I guess I'll bless you myself, but uh, <laughs> good story there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just sneezed and I'm scared shitless because that could be the beginning of another allergy attack. Oh boy, are you going to have fun with me today? So, he made you uh, uh, kneel on rice. Now, I'm curious, uh, was your dad a a nice guy when you guys were growing up? Because sometimes that shit, you know, kind of goes to the next generation there, Mikey. Yeah, and he preached from day one that he's going to break the cycle. That he's like, my family... rough around the edges but I'm going to break the cycle so he made sure that he was overly nice always there for us so he went out of his way to make sure he never uh, did any of that kind of stuff with us ever that's good because that's exactly what I'm trying to do so because my uh, mom's mom was a piece of shit Uh, and, and she was such a piece of shit that my mom understood that and my mom has her own issues, obviously. We've talked about that in the past. And my mom understood that her mom was not treating us right as little kids. Like yelling at us if, if we try to answer the phone after the phone rang once. Hey, kids, this is when phones actually rang in your house. <laughs> uh, and, and stuff like that. And my mom was like, you know what? We can't have this. So uh, she kind of just blew off her, her own mom for our, uh, for our sanity and our mental health. Yeah, and that's what my dad did. I guess he yelled at me. I don't know the whole story with it, but my dad always kept us away from him. He died, thank God. And then uh, that was it. My dad made sure to, oh, I'm breaking that cycle. And he would, he would tell us. That's what I mean by being open. He would tell us all these stories like, I'm breaking the cycle. I'm not going to be anything like that, man. And he, he wasn't. Yeah. We, uh, before my mom, you know, kind of, you know, cut her mom off from seeing us, we would go to her, her mom's house in uh, Astoria, one of those brick houses. 
uh, and and her house was the only one that was just dark inside, hot as hell because she wouldn't use the AC. The drapes or or the uh, blinds would always be down to make sure the house was really dark. It was just such a sterile environment. There was nothing that that made you think that this woman was loving <laughs> at all. And I remember the smell of mothballs throughout oh. the entire house. And then we would have to play in the backyard. And I swear to you, Mike, it was the only backyard that had a cloud over it. <laughs> and she had a bird feeder in the backyard. And everything was dead in her backyard. And you could see everyone else's yards because the houses are pretty close together. And, and there would just be life everywhere else, like green. And the birds would be using the uh, the bird bath. And, and there would be beautiful bushes and stuff. And in her backyard, it was just thickets, just just dead shit all over the place. And and then the bird bath would have no water in it. So to this day, when I see a bird bath, I kind of get triggered. <laughs> well, you know that my whole eulogy was basically the opposite of what you said. I never knew growing up that grandparents weren't supposed to be cool. So I remember being young, maybe like just say 10, 11, 12, and kids that I knew in baseball and school would bitch about going to their grandparents' house for the weekend, which was you, and I'd be like. No, my grandparents are great. We're going to go ping pong, we're bowling, we're going swimming, we're playing baseball. They were so active with us that we thought our grandparents were cool our whole lives. We never knew that, like, it was a pain in the ass for most kids to go to their grandparents' house. We never knew that. Oh, uh, no. And then I had a grandma that had a beach house in Wading River, and she was, like, the uh, the epitome of a great, great, not great, great in that way, just mm-hmm. an awesome, mm-hmm. I should say, uh, grandmother. She did everything for us. And that's my grandmother now. When I'd walk in that house... Sit down, you're too skinny, and you know all the food would come out. Sit down, and she wouldn't let you leave, and that was it. It was, it was yeah. fun. It was the happiest moments of my life were there. I remember when I was working at BAB uh, on Long Island, like I would have the night shift, so every once in a while I would just take a drive all the way out to Wading River to see my grandma because during the week, you know, on the weekend it was it was unbelievable because it was all cousins and uncles and aunts, you know, just taking advantage of the fact that she had a beach house on the Long Island <laughs> Sound. But during the week was when you had special alone time with uh, with my grandma. And before my shift at BAB, I would swing by her house, which was way out of the way. But I would do it from time to time. And I, I, I'll never forget, she always had um, beer on tap. She was in her 80s at this point. And uh, we would sit and have a beer or two just looking over the Long Island Sound. Just like barely talking, actually. Just chilling out and just uh, enjoying the moment. They have a big pool in their backyard and stuff, my grandparents. So everyone would go there. Like you said, on the weekend, it would be like, it's like a little mini Margaritaville in the back. There's a bar. There's all this. But the best times was that Tuesday afternoon when I didn't have work and you sat at the kitchen table, just grandma, grandpa, and you, and just talked and gossiped. Those were the best times. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I I fell in love with uh, margarine and sugar sandwiches (laughs) (laughs) that people know so well if they've been following my career. (laughs) I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. I guarantee that house now, and it was it's nothing special. It's not in our family anymore. I guarantee that house goes for a million dollars now. But when she bought it, it was probably like $10,000. Uh, but anyway, she had to feed a lot of my uh, my cousins and, and my family. So it was Wonder Bread lined <laughs> up. I think it was Wonder Bread. I mean, that would be like splurging to get Wonder Bread. And then she would uh, margarine up the sandwiches and then just big, huge, like, thing of sugar she would just pour over the uh, the sandwiches, and that was our lunch a lot of times. See, the tragedy of my story is all the money I lost on my flights and stuff. That's the tragedy of the whole thing. What? That's a true tragedy. I lost all that money. That's why I told my grandma that I'd come home, she's crying, and my grandma, you want to see crying? Because, you know, I'm kind of a cheap guy. 
I'm like, here are my bills while the flights had to miss out. So waiting for reimbursement. How does the airlines work that out? Do, do they give you a break sometimes or? Well, I, I hate that I'm going to, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's a great airline. E-I-T-H-A-D. Ethod Airways. It's one of the Middle Eastern ones. It's always top three ranked airlines. They were absolutely amazing. My mom called up. She like, listen, here's the deal. I can prove he's the grandson. He has my birth certificate. They're like, we'll worry about that down the road. He needs to get home. They put me on the next flight home, same seats, got me home, and um, they just emailed my mom yesterday, and they said, listen, please send us the death certificate, this, this, we're going to reimburse the entire flight for him, uh, which they were just, you know, that's above and beyond. All I want to do is come home. I didn't care how much it was. But the small little airlines, like we said, Air Asia and Thai Airways, they were like, no. Even though the flight's only like 50 bucks or 100 bucks, they were like, no, you missed your flight, you missed it, but... That's what you can do. But Bhutan has been beautiful because it's so expensive. I explained the visa situation, and they're just letting me push it back to November. I can go. Oh, so you're going to go back and check out that country? Yeah, November. I think, I, I believe, probably here on Halloween. Yeah. We're working on the flights now, but they're doing... They didn't cost me any money. And, you know, I thought I lost all my money with the airlines. And I didn't lose any money with Bhutan Airways. So I lost a few hundred dollars here and there with the small airlines, but everyone else has been great. You just got to, you know, prove that you were really his grandson. Right. And uh, what's there to see in Bhutan? Uh, not not that much. There's a few monasteries. There's a few hiking trails. So you just want to go to just check it off on your list of countries. Yeah, and it's the happiest country in the world. If you Google it, there are, you know, there's no drugs there. There's nothing. But there's a few, like a lot of the temples are built into the cliffs. So it's one of the most photographable countries in the world. They said it's just breathtaking when you're there. My buddy's there now because obviously he continued on with his trip. And he was meeting me there, and he's there now, and he's sending me pictures, and it just looks fabulous. Well, why is he rubbing it in? Well, that's what I said. He's like, oh, I thought you would want to see it. I'm like, no, I don't want to see any of that. You're having the time of your life, and I'm here uh, doing a eulogy. <laughs> and I'm at a wake at a funeral, you idiot. <laughs> but I'll tell you the one funny thing. So now I get It's to- not about you. <laughs> but I get to the airport. You know, I'm smelly. I'm disgusting. I'm, you know, I look sad. And I hand my passport. They scan it. And I just thought, I'm like, I was here a day ago. They're going to flag me. Sarah, come this way. Right into the room. They're like, why basically did you come here on, I think, you know, May 29th and you left May 30th? Why'd you leave after 20 hours in Bangkok with only a carry-on? Can I only bring a big carry-on? And where'd you stay? So they, uh, you know, they went through my luggage. I explained. I'm like, listen, I'm a New York City police officer. They they didn't care about that idea at all. And I'm like, okay. And then they said, um, I'm like, listen, my grandfather passed away. I had to go on the computer. I Googled it because his eulogy card was up there. And I had to prove, like I had to show them text messages, and then I showed them I had an original airline ticket from two weeks later, so they were they were cool with it. But they, for around ten minutes, I was I knew I was gonna get away with it. But you had to deal with it. Yeah, it sucked. I'm like, dude, I'm like, my grandfather just died. They they probably hear that a million times, but I showed them the original ticket because I'm OCD. I have like my original itinerary, like ten copies of it, so they would they let me go. And it's weird being a little Thai room. That's I've seen locked up abroad. That's scary. Did they do the military uh, funeral? Yeah, and that was uh. With the, with the folding of the flag? Oh, my God. I'm glad you mentioned that because he was a veteran, and we got to the funeral, you know, where he's going to be put into one of the mausoleums. And we got there, and I see the military people. I'm like, oh, no. And they played taps. And that's when, no matter how, then they did the flag, and, you know, it's so dramatic and so beautiful. And then he went over, went on one knee in front of Grandma. And I was like, on behalf of the President of the United States, the United States Army thanks your grandfather. I'm like, oh, my. And then everyone just becomes a puddle, and everyone just, just drops. That was... That's tough. Yeah, if you don't have emotion when you're seeing that go down, uh, you're not human, man. I, we just had one of those down in Philly. 
my uh, my wife's grandfather died, 85, 86 years old, and they did the military funeral. And there wasn't a dry eye in, in the area, man. That's just that's that's just tough. And I was sitting next to my grandmother, like holding my grandmother up. You know, my brother had my mom. Everyone had a person with them, and I'm holding grandma up. And I'm like, all right, Grandma, you know, I'll be the rock. I'm not going to cry. And they, I see the flag folding, and you get a little teared up. You know, those are cop funerals, too, with their taps. And then all of a sudden, when they, when he goes on one knee in front of my grandmother, grabs her hand and is thanking her for my grandfather's service, I said, oh, it's impossible to hold that together. Yeah, that's, uh, maybe they could do away with that. <laughs> and it's so beautiful, and they do it so That's, so that's a joke, obviously, because it's, 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 it's tough to sit through. Tough. No, and, and they do it, and... If you had a dry eye, it was done. When they when they go down on their knee and tell you, Grandma, thank you for your husband living and serving this country, and the flag is perfectly creased, and the military people are standing there at attention, and when then the worst part is when they saluted my grandmother for like 10 seconds. I'm like, oh my, and the guy had a tear in his eye. I'm like, oh my God, this is brutal. Yeah, it's rough. And then you can see the old lady, like in our case, you know, the old lady's she's still alive, 85 years old, and... And she's holding that flag really, really tight. And then they had her walk up to the grave and put the flower on it. So she has the flag in her left hand. I'm holding her hand and she has the flower. I'm like, oh my God, Grandma, this is like the worst scene you've ever, ever could have imagined. It's, it's torture. And you want to hear, you might actually find this halfway interesting or maybe morbid. Four years ago, he goes to the hospital. And it was like hit or miss. He had a little aneurysm, but he was fine. He was, he was great. And uh, a funny story about it, he was wearing his wedding ring. He never took it off the day he got married. And uh, they couldn't do emergency service on him, emergency uh, operation on him because he wouldn't remove his wedding ring. And he's like, I'd rather die than take it off. They're like, sir, you're going to die. He's like, I'd rather die than take it off the ring. They had to build a cast real quick around his ring because he wouldn't take it off. Because he had to go into the machine and wouldn't take it off. But he is morbid. I'm like, listen, I don't know how much time he has left. So I grabbed a little microphone and I taped an interview with him. And I'm like, Grandpa, no one's ever going to hear this interview till after you die. And I interviewed him for one hour about his life, meeting my grand. Like, told yeah, and it was wild. And I told everybody about it uh, the other day. Are you gonna release that on your podcast? Uh, if people want to hear it, it's it's tough. Like, I'm like, how do you want to be described as a man? Like, you know, it was more of a fun interview. And now I sent it out to a few family members. It, it was just weird because I'm like, Grandpa, we're taping this. When, when people hear this, you'll be dead. And he's like, all right, that's kind of weird, but all right. And he was he was down with it, answered every question, like how he met my grandmother going into the military what do you remember <clears throat> about that that still stands out from uh, from that interview uh, two things one I asked him like because he was never a party guy I'm like why didn't you have a party and he told me when he was like around like my my mom and her her sister they were like you know 13 and 12 years old and they said you know daddy why don't you ever go out every other kid in the class their dads go out drinking and my grandma said Carlo go out go out tonight and he said okay I'm gonna go out so he said he showered up he shaved he put on his nice clothes to go out. He said it was a Friday night. He drove 10 blocks to Woodhaven Boulevard and goes, where am I going to go? He said he whipped around, picked up my grandmother and the, you know his two daughters, my mom, my aunt. He's like, hey, we went to Rockaway, went to the amusement park. That's how I want to spend my Friday night. And that's just like, oh my God, this guy only cared about family. And I asked him at the end, how do you want to be remembered when you go? And he's like, just that I always provided for my family. And please, when I die, put $5 in my pocket and I'll have everything set up for when you get up there. Yeah, he was he was a provider, all right? Wow, he's a special guy, man. You're known to be very um, frugal with your money, which I don't agree with. What's one thing in your life that you didn't purchase that you wish you had? Well, I never really 
purchased too much for myself. I was that's true. I was but frugal was a good word, but cheap is the word that's usually used. <laughs> but I was thank God I can honestly say I was never I was never cheap with my family. My wife especially, I could I, I don't remember really ever saying no to her for anything. One time this guy I we were discussing on a job and he was saying uh, you know about the woman this and that he said you know, I said, how the this thing came up, I don't know what I said. I said, my wife never, I never said no to my wife. And this guy, he said to me, well, he said, now you're saying you never said no to your wife. And then he's saying to us that you were so poor when you got married. I said, yeah, that's true. Well, how could it be? I mean, she never, I said, the difference is, I said, my wife never asked me for something I couldn't give her. I said, she knew enough to, you know, if I couldn't give it to her, she wouldn't ask for it. That means I had a smart marriage. I said to him, he didn't like that too much. What's, I would like yeah. him to say that I was a good provider for my family, that I was a good father, and uh, you know, I, I always took care of my family. My family always came first. One time, I'll tell you a fair story. Yeah, no rush. My wife, my one, one of my kids said at the table, I don't remember who. She, said, Daddy, you never go out alone. Like the other fathers, they go someplace, you know, do it. I said, yeah, and I said, I don't know. And she got into it. She said, why don't you go someplace? Get out a while. She said, it's good for you, you know. So I said, all right. I showered up and shaved and dressed, got in a car, and off I went. I'm on Atlantic Avenue. I got as far as Woodhaven Boulevard. And I said, where the hell am I going? <laughs> I got no place to go. I don't have any place I want to go. So I made a U-turn, I'll never forget it. I made a U-turn, went back to the house. I went in, kind of said, what's the matter? I said, dress the kids, you get in the car, I said, we're going out. <laughs> so I took them all, we went, we went to a place, I, I don't even remember, I think it was Rockaway again. We went there, put the kids on some rides, stopped off and ate over there, I said. And I, I, I just never, I never would enjoy myself without them, I said. That was my life. I think that's a perfect way to end this interview. Thank you. Let me say, and I mean this, I'm probably speaking for everybody. It's rare to, I remember, and Lorraine and I spoke about this before. Lorraine and I would say, we never knew it was uncool to go to grandparents' house. Um, when we were little, not only did we live here, but when we moved, we were like, oh, we're going to see our grandparents. And I remember in St. Teresa's, and even in St. Peter's where I went to high school, and Lorraine and I spoke about this, that people would complain about, Oh, we have to go to grand. We have to go to my grandmother's. We have to go to our grandfather's, and we never knew that it was uncool to go to your grandparents. So you guys not only, and I, I think you guys know this by the relationship you have with all of us, but not only did you excel as parents and grandparents, but you crossed that third line and truly became friends with us. So when we sat here at the table or in the backyard, it was never like we have to go see grandpa. It was going to see our friend, and that's rare. And something that I know everyone looks up to, and I really appreciate that. And speaking not only for the grandkids and Jessica and my mom, my dad, Mike and Jenny, everyone, it's a privilege to watch you because everyone does look up to you. And it's weird to have this conversation because no one's truly going to hear this interview, hopefully for a long time. But it was a, it's a privilege to look up to you as a role model. So thank I, you. I, I feel like I had a good life. I feel like I did my job. You did.
Thank God. Sir, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for the interview. You want to say goodbye and make it really I'll weird? I'll say goodbye to whoever is listening to this and put up with me. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. I know it was morbid, but hopefully everybody enjoyed. Oh, Mike. It's unbelievable. How's your wife holding out? Well, that's the other thing. She she doesn't have a father. Her father's uh, not really in her life. So her and my dad became beyond close. She called him dad and stuff. So she took that. She was worse than anybody because she's like, for the first time in my life, I have a father. So I'm like, all right, babe. Like she would say that, and that crushes everybody. And then you know her grandparents aren't around. And grandpa, like I said, made everyone feel like they were best friends. So she was on a cruise with her mom throughout Italy and the Greek islands. And I had to say, babe, call me up. And I told her. So she landed Monday at like 2 p.m. from her two-week trip and came right to the funeral home. So she is, no one's doing very well right now. Rough two weeks for everybody. I had to call work. I'm like, hey, uh, bereavement leave again? They're like, all right, bro. But no, no, I swear. <laughs> I, I need bereavement. My grandfather, no one believed me. Like, who gets a double hit like that? Oh, my God. They're like... <laughs> Enough already, Mike. <laughs> All right, we get it. We're working you too hard. That's just, uh, well, I mean, it's it's part of life, you know. We all uh, unfortunately deal with that crap, and it just, when you go through it, like I, like I said on a past podcast, you feel like you're the only person in the world that that happens to, and you realize, you know, if you're lucky enough, uh, it's, it's kind of stupid to say, but if you're lucky enough, it'll happen to you a lot, right? Well, and that's because I only had, uh, my uncle died, 20 years ago we had a, my little cousin a baby who passed away uh, 12 years ago and then besides that we had no other death in the family besides pets no other death in 25 years we had two people my uncle who you know unfortunately was very overweight and then a baby who was born very sick so we had a good good run and now we get hit with the one-two punch which was pretty fucking uh, pretty intense it seems to happen that way, that way a lot my grandma died um, in 92 and within two years <clears throat> Uh, two of her sons died, my uncle and my dad. It was almost like, and it was weird, when my grandma, very healthy woman, and she was living at my uncle's house, and like like we've all heard, you know, one day she just slipped, fell, and next thing you know, she's, you know, she's dead a month later. Um, but there was a there was a point, she was, a, she was in a rehab center, and they really thought that she might have a chance to, um, you know, to live and, and, and to... Uh, to maybe even get out of the rehab center um, but she refused to eat she would clench her teeth like and shake her head like no and we're talking about a woman that was so full of life and I remember my sister my older sister she would beg her because my older sister this was her uh, uh, a big time mother figure to her it's my half sister mm-hmm. it's my sister but you know for sake of uh, this discussion so she looked at my grandma as a, as a mother figure because she she lost her uh, biological mother never really knew her that was the tragedy in my uh, in my life with my dad um, losing his first wife to a kidney disease that nowadays if you have it you could kind of live with but she died when um, she was in her 20s after having my older sister and my dad had two uh, kids die of a crib death and it's the only reason why I'm here there my <laughs> hey but um, anyway, so my, my sister is in the rehab center. My grandmother, she's 92, and, and she had open-heart surgery, like quadruple bypass surgery at 85 or 86. And they basically said, normally we tell the, you know, the person to go home and enjoy the rest of their life. Uh, but she's so healthy. We're like, yeah, we, we could do this. Mm-hmm. 
And so she made it through quadruple bypass surgery, you know, lived another, you know, six, seven years after that. Now she's in the rehab center after falling and, and it was touch and go, but they're feeling like, you know, maybe she could, you know, you know, get out of this. And she just clenched those teeth and was refused to eat. And my sister, I remember, it was so painful to watch. She would be there begging my grandma, open your mouth, please, grandma, please eat. But we're, we're thinking, we don't know everything, obviously, but we're thinking in somewhere deep in her, in her uh, soul, she's like, it's time to go because cause I am not sticking around uh, uh, with, you know, two of my, my sons about to die in the next year or two. We talked about that. That's like strong women. They know, like you said, they don't want to die. But in the back of their head, subconsciously, it's like, all right, my time here is done. That's it. And that's sad. And that's why with my grandfather, I was glad it wasn't that he was sick. It happened. He went in for a stent. They put it in, and he was fine. Went home. And next day, he was getting sharp pains. And they go, take him back to the hospital. And something burst inside of him, and he was poisoning him. He, was, he died like right instantly. Not instantly, but very, very quickly. And I was always very grateful, and I told everyone there, he would tell me, he's like, don't ever let me go out, like, on the bed. He's like, you go in there, you pull the plug. He's like, do never never let me go out. Like, you know, not disparaging anybody, but very weakly, don't let me go out that way. You go in there. And he was always funny. He's like, and I'll tell God up there that I told you to do it. Don't worry, but don't ever let me go out weak. So I was so happy that my two heroes went out. I, I don't want to say, like, men, but they went out, like, they made sure no one had to watch them suffer. That they just went out, boom, and they, uh, clean slate. That was it. Right, exactly. Well, Man, jeez, ah, unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, but uh, there you go. That's that's uh, that's life, right? Yep. And you got hit with uh, two big knockout punches. We're still standing. And what are you gonna do? You're either gonna let life beat you, but you know what? In a month or in five years, there's gonna be another death, and you can't just let them beat you. That's it. You know, we sat around the repass. All everybody did was tell stories about him. You you can't ask for anything else. If you told someone when I was born, you told my mom. Hey, your dad's going to be around 36 more years and going to be best friends with your son. You would sign up for that in a heartbeat. We can't be selfish and say, I wish he was here, what, suffering? You don't want that. You know, he went out like a champ and that was it. We had an amazing life with him. He provided for us. He set us up and now we'll take it from here. Now it's our, uh, our turn to run with it. There you go. That's uh, that's a good way to live there, Mikey. They, they, they say to get through, uh, you know, someone close to you dying... You need uh, you need that love. Love is everything, and you need to be loved. Is how you get through it. And you know, and you also you just tell people to hold on, and that it does get better. You know, you just hold on and 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 just uh, put in the time, I guess. And eventually, uh, hopefully, it becomes something else. I deal with addiction and stuff in my family, so the, I go to all those meetings, and they say, uh, "Hope, hold on, hold on." Pain ends. That's what hope stands for. And that's what it is. Like you said, you're holding on. And that's it. Listen, the grieving process is going to suck. I'm not one of those people that, like, on his birthday, I'm going to be upset. That's weird. I'll be upset when something happens. If I'm playing ping pong, if I hear somebody talk about him, that's when you get upset over it. Yeah. Well, we're in uh, Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Uh, man, I didn't, I didn't expect us to talk this long about your, your grandfather. But, <laughs> but, man, you've been through a lot, Mike. <laughs> Well, one other thing, I'm glad you gave me the platform because when I landed, I had a four-hour layover, coming back, a six-hour layover coming home. I was just on Twitter, and all I did was message with OP Radio fans because every person has dealt with death, and they're like, oh, my God, you're helping me so much. I'm like, dude, you're helping me even more. So it was six hours. My phone was plugged in the, um, the outlet for six hours. All I did was DM and text with all people from the show. 
just in a, we were it was like a support group of just helping each other. One person's dad's in the hospital now. One person's grandfather's in the hospital. One just died. One died after their wedding. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, I'm not alone. Someone else's dad died the day before the wedding or the day. So it's just a, when you open up about it, when you talk about it, that's when it, that's when it helps. You hold that shit in and that's not good, man. We have a decent uh, group of people that listen to this podcast, that's for sure, man. The Pod Squad. <laughs> They're a good group of people, man. Everybody was so open, and that's what I like. It's not like a, hey, bro, be tell. Like, people were sending long, long messages, and it helps them, too. They're releasing stuff that's hard for, you know, most of the people were dudes. And, you know, it's, it's hard for men to write to each other about that kind of stuff, but it's easy when you hear one person talk about it, and then you go back and forth with it. Right. I, I got hit with one. A fan you know, lost their... Um, their child and you know they they were just reaching out to me a complete stranger but they listened to you know me for so many years they just felt like they they want to reach out to me which you know I appreciate obviously but I I, I didn't know what to say to this person I, I did relay my dad's uh, my dad's life because my dad went through losing his young wife his uh, high school sweetheart and then he he lost uh, two kids as well before she died, uh, so loses the young wife, and you know I should have two older brothers. And you fast forward, he meets my mom. He definitely was in love. He was definitely happy. He ended up having six more kids. Um, and I, late in my dad's life, I, I uh, would go drink with him from time to time. And you know I was always scared to bring it up, but I'm like, Dad, like, how do you? how do you like wrap your head around, you know, what happened to you? And he's like, you know what? I look at it as two different, um, two different, I'm trying to do this dramatic ending to this podcast. And Mike is like, I'm putting my blinker on. And then Mike's like, no, 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 go straight. So then I start going straight. And then he's like, no, 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 put your blinker on and take a left. We're going left here. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to wrap this whole thing up. You idiot. (laughs) So anyway, I'm going to pull over so I can do this. Um, anyway, where was I? So, yeah, he, he loses his young wife. He loses his uh, two kids. And, you know, fast forward a million years. You know, he was married to my mom for, what, 40-something years. Had six kids. And I'm in a bar with my dad. And I go, Dad, how do you even wrap your head around what happened to you in your life? And he basically told me, he's like... I uh, I lived. Uh, I know we're not turning here, but I, I'm trying to like park so I could so I could just end this podcast. Mike is like the ultimate producer. I'm like, he doesn't even understand. I just want to pull over so I could end this. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not where Diamond Dallas Page lives. So anyway, um, yeah. So he, he says I look at it as um, as two different um, uh, lives that I lived. He said I obviously you know didn't want to lose my first wife and those two kids. I don't even know their names because we never talked about it because my mom was, in a weird way, my mom was jealous that my dad was married ahead of time or uh, before her or something. Like, what? I mean, what? So we weren't really allowed to talk about my dad's uh, first wife. Her name was Trudy. Um, It barely came up in our house. But anyway, he goes, uh, obviously, I didn't want to, you know, lose Trudy at such a young age. I didn't want to lose those two kids. But I can't even imagine not having you in my life and, and the rest of your brothers and sisters and your mom. Like, 
wrap your head around that shit. He went through incredible tragedy, and then on the other side of it, because he he did what we're saying here, he he held on, and he also uh, uh, found love, which is so important to everybody, that he had a whole nother life after that. And he's like, I wouldn't have all you guys if I didn't go through that just horrific stuff back in the day. And he goes, uh, I just look at it as, you know, two different lives. They say we write a, a whole life as a book. And you can't move forward if you're going to keep reading the same chapters over and over. So I told my mom I'm trying to help her out. I'm like, the chapter of daddy in your life, your husband, it's closed. Right. He'll always be in the book. Right. He'll be footnotes in the book. You'll talk about him. But now it's, you know, the, now it's one without your dad. But that's you're going to keep writing the book. But most of your book is going to be about my dad, Kevin. Right. He'll always be mentioned in the book. But now you know you got to find the new Florence. You got to be the new person now. So she'll work on it. Eventually, it'll happen. And yeah, that's what you, you have to. Now it's part two of your life. Yeah, and so you know, back to that fan who wrote me after losing their child, and it was just I, I, I sort of, I sort of wrote all this out that I just said on the podcast to this person. Like I didn't know what else to say. I go, I could just get you know from experience tell you what happened to my dad and how it worked out for him and then uh, you know they thanked me and all that obviously and it was cool um, and then you fast forward a year they wrote me back to say they were uh, expecting another kid or the kid was born so there they are with the second chapter in their life you know and I, it, it just made me so happy that you know they reached out to me in, in such a, a tough tough time in their lives so I do feel bad for my sister though because you know she her biological mom dies. Mm-hmm. My dad marries my mom, has, you know, six other kids, and my mom had a stepkid. And at times she was a stereotypical stepmom. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went from her mom's crazy house to having a husband and a, a five or six year old right away. Like she never really lived on her own and all that and had, had life experience. And, uh, you know, if we're going to be honest on this podcast, my. My sister had it had it rough with my mom. Rough. We all had it rough at times, but it was pretty obvious that uh, my mom took it out of my my um, my stepsister, or I mean, she's my sister, my older sister, uh, a bit more, a bit more. So could could you imagine that? You're just a kid with a you know with your dad and your and your biological mom. And she goes away because she dies. And fast forward, now you're kind of in, in a in a much tougher situation. And you're forced to be put in a life that you didn't ask for. Right. And, you know, my mom's apologizing this and that. And, you know, she wasn't equipped to to be in that situation, you know. But, but it is what it is, man. It happened. I'm here to tell you it happened. And, you know, my sister... Uh, my sister's very well adjusted and doing great and has a great life. And she has... Uh, two beautiful kids that are my nephew and niece. One of them is a brain surgeon down there in Atlanta. Literally a brain surgeon. Yes. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm related to a brain surgeon. I know you want to laugh at that. But he, he's, uh, he's officially a brain surgeon working on um, operating on brains left and right. So I couldn't be more proud of um, him and, and certainly my, my sister, you know, being able to, uh, you know, get through all that. And uh, have a, a damn good life. So, there you go. Are you okay that we parked the car? Well, I just keep looking at ways. Now it's keep adding a minute on here and there. Your old CDs kicking yeah, yeah, in yeah. as I'm trying to have a moment. <laughs> this fucking mic guy is insane. <laughs> 
was more worried about uh, doing this podcast with Diamond Dallas Page than uh, than burying his best friend, his grandfather, who died at 93 years old. Yep. He was like, oh, my God, how is this going to affect the podcast? The podcast, oh, my God, the podcast at Point Pleasant, New Jersey. I'm supposed to go with Opa. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Anything else you want to say? I, I thought we would just uh, do like five or ten minutes on this, but I, I think this... I think, I think this came out pretty damn good there, Mikey. Yeah, people like the death episodes. You know what? Uh, a few more weeks, I'll probably have another one. So, Jeez. <laughs> no, they seem to they seem to come in uh, hot and heavy, and then uh, and then it seems to you know go away for a while. So I think I, th- I think I'm not a, I'm not a sorcerer, but I think you're going to be good for a while. I think. I mean, we went through the same thing. Like, really? You know, three within a, a couple of years. Like, what the fuck? And then you know. Then some time went by, thank God. Yeah, there's, listen, there's nothing you can do except laugh for it. Like, we made jokes like my mom and grandmother are going to be on online dating sites now and living together. There's nothing else you can do except make you know make jokes and move on. That's life. That's Is your grandpa, uh, grandmother pretty healthy? Isn't she in her 90s too? She's 88. She's healthier than him. Like, no hearing aid, no cane. See? See, you're explaining yeah, yeah. <laughs> a healthy old person again. <laughs> How else do I do it? Yeah, she's healthy. Right. And then no one pitches it. But yeah, she's yeah. like... She watches TV, you know. <laughs> she watches her programs, and she walks down in the parlor and gets her hair done still. And she could drive, but we decided that she shouldn't. Um, you know, you nailed it. Well, she actually never drove her whole life. My grandfather wouldn't let her. He was like old school Italian, like, I drive, I open the door for you. But yeah, like I said, gets her hair done all the time still. Yeah, she right, does. Right. You she plays know. bingo, and yeah. she's she's aware. She doesn't need help with her bingo card. She's quick-witted. She texts. She's good. <laughs> right. She understands the uh, the smartphone. My my great aunt died at 101 uh, in her chair, like I said. For her 100th birthday, this is how healthy she was. Huge. And you're not going to want to hear this, Mikey. Huge lifetime Mets fan. Went to a Mets game with her family at 100. Well, that's there. They made a big deal about it. Well, I tried. She understood everything that was going on. I tried to get him honored as like you know the veteran of the year for the city field, and you know they're so booked up. So I went to my grandpa. Would you ever do the Yankee one? He's like, oh no, no, never. I said, grandpa, on the field. He's like, no, never. And the Mets were great. They were so backed up. So I'm gonna write to him now, like, thanks. He's dead. Thanks for not uh, accommodating. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's funny. All right, I think we're going to wrap it up because uh, we got a podcast to do with Diamond Dallas Page. So I guess you, I guess you already know what the the next episode of the Opie Radio podcast is going to be. So uh, I guess at this point, as we sit in this car awkwardly parked to the side, I, I would love to know what these neighbors are thinking because they're peeking out of their out of their uh, out of their windows. Yeah, and you're holding the zoom in front of us. They're like, "What is going on in that car with those two fellas?" <laughs> we're undercover cops. <laughs> We're on a stakeout. <laughs> you ever do a stakeout? Uh, surveillance, yes. It's not a stakeout, yes. We've done surveillance. Yes. You guys don't call it stakeouts? We do not. It's a surveillance. They're so boring, and you have to do it in like a non-disclosed van. Like, you know, if we're in a van. Right. And it's horrible. It's so boring. And do you go for food and stuff? Like, I, I picture you. one of the guys goes and gets Chinese food for everybody, and you're just cracking jokes in the van. No, because if you think about it, surveillance is done like usually overnight mostly, or yeah. night. Yeah. So nothing's going on. The car has to be off because you can't have a running car. Right. So it's usually either cold or hot, and you're sitting in there with a person. You know, you're working. It's not normal to work like 11 p.m. to 6 in the morning. So it's it's not like the movies? You're it's, not like joking back and forth with each other? No, the first hour you're like, this is awesome. You're making jokes, and then one person's fading. The other person's on their phone. It's it's horrible. It's boring <laughs> as hell. It's, it's the most boring. <laughs> and then, you know, 
everyone loves, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of cop insight here. Yeah. Everyone loves that. Oh, we're going to do a surveillance tonight. We're going to do surveillance. All right, let's watch this guy's house. And when you think about it, if the dude comes out, if he's not arrestable, if he's not wanted, what are you going to do? You follow him, watch him till the corner. He made a left. You can't follow him in the van. He's going to know in a second. Yeah. So it's the most overrated thing in the world. Oh, we're doing surveillance on a uh, one, two, three main street. See the subject. He's walking up to cottage place, made a left. All right, he's out of sight. And that's it. Whenever he comes back, so surveillance is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I'd rather hear about the uh, the strip clubs in yeah. Thailand. <laughs> in Bangkok. The, the ping pong show. It's pretty impressive. It, well, you know, it's you're, a, you're an old school O&A fan. You re, do you remember the bit? Of course I do. I was going to bring all the well, What's the bit I'm talking about? The girl was ping pongs, and I think she it shot wasn't it, ping pongs. It, she shot it at Roger Clemens's, uh, Roger Clemens and Mike's Piazza's um, cardboard cutouts because it was done in 2000 for the Subway Series. Uh, you're close. What, what was it? Eggs. Okay, but didn't she shoot it at she, Mike Piazza? She was able to fire eggs out of her uh, out of her snatch, and we took batting practice with a <laughs> wiffle ball bat. And she, with her hips, she could she could fire an egg in, and it was tough to hit. I'm not gonna lie to you, because you're you're also distracted because she was pretty fucking hot. When we first went to Thailand, we got screwed because we're on Khao San Road ping pong show. I'm like, yep, and they took you like some shady place underground. And, oh, she couldn't fit it in there. So you learned you got screwed. If you want to go to the real ones, you have to go, like, go to the red light district. So the first time we got screwed, like you go down to some shady club. It's like $20 to get in. And everything in Thailand is like $2. Mm-hmm. So you pay $20, like 2,000 baht. And the girl's up there and she's like, nothing comes out. And they're like, oh, just hang out for the next show. I'm like, oh, we got scammed. Yeah, you yeah, take yeah. the L. And then you go up and you speak to real travelers. And like, no, dude, you go to the red light district and you can watch it. I want, to, I want to test your O&A knowledge because you are a super fan. Okay. We haven't taken advantage of that over the last year with this podcast. Name four things that Opie and Anthony did with the girl's snatch. Four. Uh, okay. Guess what's in my pants. Would that count as one? Uh, the game? Uh, okay. I, I, it's not the ones I'm thinking of. Wiffle Bowl Bat Challenge, of course. That was oh, a legendary Oh, I forgot one. about that oh, one. Oh, really? In a way, I forgot. Yeah. And that was in a glass box. It uh, the girls took that seriously. They would see the line on the bat and go, oh, "I could beat that." That was a legendary bit, the wiffle ball bat challenge. That was the that was the one. Yeah, yeah. That was the one when you would drive and you feel uncomfortable, like, and you would sit back, like, "Oh boy." But that's, I would go to Yankee games with my dad, and we would listen all the time. And whenever that comes on, that's like a bonding experience with the pops. Sure, sure. Yeah, so that was a good one. But that's not the ones I'm thinking. I'm of. trying to think which ones you're thinking of with the snatch. Well, obviously, you just mentioned the egg one. So that we had all right. So the one I'm thinking, I got four. Okay. I mean, but you're adding to the list, which is great. But so far, you named one out of the four I'm thinking of. One was the girl, this really hot. I think she was Dominican, a Dominican stripper from uptown, uh, firing eggs out of her box, and we were <laughs> and we were taking batting practice. Even even blind Dave, who couldn't see a thing. Uh, which was awesome. Or, or we had him catching them. I don't know. Whatever. So that's one. Name three more. I can't think of three other ones. We had a girl smoke from there. I don't remember the smoking one. We had... Uh, we we tried to make a, a cell phone oh, ring. So, yes, a cell phone one I remember. <laughs> yes, okay. I remember that one. That was early, early on you want this cell phone to ring. Well, that's why it was impressive. It was like the old Nokia one. Like, <laughs> yeah. Put it in there. Let's see if it rings. <laughs> the, the phones were really big. That's what made it really impressive. My God. <laughs> It was like a it was like a phone from Canon, yeah, like a thick Nokia phone you guys had because you guys would put it on the site yeah, then afterwards. It was like the old school car phones when you know when they first came out. Uh, so that was impressive. And then uh, I think my favorite of all time was uh, the bottle rockets firing them yes, down the hall. Did the hallway. Yes. And what's his name? Uh, 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 it was another Yankee. 
Oh, we had his cardboard cut out, and we were trying to hit him cool. down the hall. You had Clemens's cut out. We had Clemens because that's when he hit Piazza in the head. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it might have been Rivera, Ma- Marion. Mm. Uh, was it his? Ah, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I remember that day like yesterday because this girl volunteered. She's like, "Yeah, you could fire bottle rockets from my my box." <laughs> and then we're like, we always took safety. In, in concern because we knew the crazy shit we were doing. If we do this wrong, we're screwed. We're gonna lose our livelihood. So we were building a heat shield all day, and then we like drilled a hole in the heat shield so the hole would, you know, uh, so the the bottle rocket was officially in her in her box, and then we lit it and went fucking whistling down the hall and exploded. This is what we did at a radio station because we had no bosses around, and then Tom Chiasano. Uh, he was, you know, Howard's boss back then. I mean, Howard's boss, quote, you know. And he would call us and get so mad that we had no supervision over there. He's like, you guys are going to get fired. I'm like, I go, Tom, there's no one here to fire us. We, we talk about Jackie's memorabilia collection. I have my phone because yeah. I was down there. I was going to show this to you. Every one of the CDs for like, I told you I have thousands and thousands of CDs of every one of your shows dated and every bit written down. I'm, oh show, I'm showing you pictures. God. And it, we messed up because my mom lives like 20 minutes from here, but she's not home. But I had all these CDs, 112398, 112598, every one. And then on the next page would be the description of every single show. So thousands of cassettes and, and CDs. I, I wish my mom was home today. I don't even have that shit. Mm-hmm. E Rock's got a lot of my stuff, I think. I, I don't have I don't have any of that stuff. I would like it for my kids, you know, to, to so they could see what a piece of shit I used to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have no regrets to be honest with you. None. Oh, so you're not gonna as you get older just erase the past, say whatever you want, you can just erase like, it? Like Howard? <laughs> God no. There's a way of doing that. You can't have regrets. You know, like I said a little earlier with my dad, you know, if you're lucky enough to live to a to a, an old age, you you really live chapters, you live cycles, you live uh, many different lives. That was that was a different part of me that I'm okay with because uh, you know when you consider the time period, to consider the the fact that I was more or less uh, single. You know, I was in a bad relationship, but I was you know what I mean. I wasn't like committed mm-hmm. uh, to that extent. I, I didn't worry about that. Uh, I was young, so yeah, of course you're gonna do. You know, you're gonna play your life differently uh, with all those factors. Now that I'm like married with two kids and I'm an older guy, I don't feel like doing that type of stuff anymore. But I don't regret that I ever did it. No, you own it. It made you who you are today. And, and how it's lazy because I I heard that his book is just transcribed interviews. Well, you know, I read. I said I loved the first book, Private Parts. I think was the first book. I love that book. Great book. Yeah. Uh, I needed a book for the flight. I had my Kindle, but I was in the airport and I saw it. I opened it up. It was just transcripts of interviews with people. With Gwyneth Paltrow, like, I don't. One, I wouldn't want to listen to that interview, and it was fifty pages on that. That that's just lazy. Oh, who would read that? It was just copying his transcript. Oh, whatever. All right, now we're just babbling. But uh, man, I wish I could have went to your house to see some of the old O and A stuff. And the the articles are down there. All the newspapers. So um, we got to go come back down here just to do that. All the CDs and cassettes. If you get down there, my mom's gonna probably put everything in your car because she, the whole garage is cleaned out except my shit in the corner. Oh, she wants it out of there. Oh, she's had it, and my cousin has the other half of it. So. Make sure she doesn't throw that. No, away. she would. Well, she can never lift up the box because the box has like a thousand cassettes in it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
All right, we're in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Um, this was supposed to be the start of the uh, Diamond Dallas Page podcast. I'm excited. We're going right to his house. Uh, we're going to hang out with DDP today. So uh, you already know what the next episode of the Opie Radio podcast is going to be. So thanks for listening. Make sure you join the Facebook group, which is Opie Radio Podcast. we got a good crew over there. Buy a T-shirt on my website, opiradio.com. And uh, what else? You, you want to promote anything, Mike? You good? I'm good. All right. With that, man, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the OP Radio Podcast. Uh, hold on. Can you hear me? This is Witness Protection Guy in Texas, friend of Joey. He asked me to wrap this podcast up for him one last time, so I'm going to read a little something on Joey's behalf that he gave me. So listen up. It was a real pleasure working with Greg but the unexpected thrill of producing this podcast were the listeners. Thanks for letting me help guide you along for the ride vocally, musically, and at times shamelessly, you know, because with all those fucking Spotify plugs and, and begging for Apple reviews on my last album, I do appreciate it. So love to you listeners, love to the entire team. I'm not going to mention names because the whole team, love them all. For those OP Radio listeners who might miss me, I'm on 115 episodes that can still be heard wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, warning. There are high-frequency subliminal messages imprinted on the audio. I'm not going to exactly tell you what I put on the audio, but if you find yourself putting peanut butter on your dick and letting your dog lick it off, you can thank me. I hope OP Radio listeners continue to listen to the podcast and also follow me. While it's true, I am now on other projects for the company I work for, my godlike influence can still be felt. Besides, when's the last time you heard God's voice? And still, you follow him. So thanks for keeping the faith. And I appreciate Greg for appreciating my writing, music, editing, voice, and overall input regarding his podcast. I thank him for his kind words on this episode. I'll miss working with him. And if anyone wants a creative spirit to help with their movie, reach out to my new agent at OP Radio. Thanks for doing that for me, Vito. My sincere pleasure.